Amen. Thank you, Scott. My name is Ross. I want to welcome you to Centennial Church again, and thank you for being here to worship with us this morning. Our uh, mission statement as a church is to center lives on Jesus Christ. That our lives would be centered on Jesus Christ, and we have four ways that we try to do that primarily. Uh, one is through genuine community, also authentic worship, biblical teaching, and holistic mission. And I want to talk just briefly this morning, uh, the one that gets the question over the last few weeks at least, is what does holistic mission mean? What, what is that? I've heard of mission, but what is holistic mission? And let me, let me define that a little bit for us this morning. Obviously, as a church, our uh, mission, as Jesus told us, is to make disciples. Jesus said in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples. Our primary passion is to share the gospels, to share the good news with people, but we want to do that as we, see G- as we believe Jesus modeled it, and that is we want to share that good news, but we also want to meet the needs of people. Isn't that how Jesus uh, lived? Isn't that how he ministered? So we certainly want to spread the good news, but we also want to be about good works. There are places in the world um, where people need the gospel, absolutely, but they also need clean water. They uh, need help, medical help for their children. We have neighbors that are hurting. They might be in the hospital. They might need a meal. And what we want to do is absolutely share the gospel with them. We also want to meet physical needs uh, because that's what Jesus did. He didn't just come and preach, but he healed people. He ministered to physical needs. So that's part of how we believe uh, that ministry and mission should look like. It should look like Jesus, who cared not only for the spiritual, primarily for the spiritual, but also for the physical. Beyond that, we believe that mission is uh, not just something corporate that we do as a church, but it's also something personal. So as a church, we're going to gather around some partnerships as a, as a mission. We're going to partner with other missionaries and other mission groups and help them. But we also believe not only is mission corporate, mission is also also personal. So you have a mission field. Tomorrow you're going to go to work or you're going to go to your neighborhood today. I will not go where you go. And so we partner in mission corporately, but we also each have a personal mission field that God has sent us to. I hope that you know where your mission field is, your spheres of influence. But not only is mission spiritual and physical and corporate and personal, it's also global as well as local. And uh, when I was growing up, missions always meant you had to fly somewhere. You had to, you know, go overseas to be a missionary. Well, guess what, folks? The way the Bible describes it is all of us are ministers and missionaries. And some of us are doing missions in Russia. Some of us are doing missions in Haiti or the Middle East or other difficult places far around the globe. But all of us hopefully are partnering, partnering globally, but also doing missions locally right where God has uh, strategically placed us at this time in this moment. So that's a little bit of what we mean when we say holistic mission. So one of the uh, partners we have locally is a group called Cornerstone Ranch. And some of, us, some of us were able to partner with Cornerstone Ranch yesterday. We had a great time going out there doing some physical labor, uh, just some good works to partner with this ministry. Cornerstone Ranch is a home for adult challenged people. And it's a beautiful place. They needed some help around the house and mowing. And uh, we had a great time moving uh, rock piles, cleaning inside, working a, a garden, hauling some stuff to the dump, uh, sweeping, cleaning. You see there, Mr. Bill, there's actually proof that he was there. 
working and doing stuff. That's Will, one of the residents there at Cornerstone Ranch. That's a couple of the young ones that were out there having a good time as well. Uh, Great time. Cornerstone Ranch, if you don't know much about it, go to our website, go to their website, uh, find out about it. We had a beautiful time, and I thank those of you that were out there uh, with us doing that. So let's give them a hand. There were some, there were some not pictured, but we know who the other saints are. Uh, so thank you for being uh, a part of that. Open your Bibles to uh, Philippians, the book of Philippians. We're going to jump back in this morning, and I've asked Miss Ginger McKinnon, one of our newest members, if she would stand and read the uh, passage for us this morning, and then I'll pray for our time in God's Word today, okay? This is from Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Conceived of this, or convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of the life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing and firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer by his sake, for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Thank you. Will you bow with me? Father God, we come to you this morning, um, and we come to you and we gather here this morning, not um, because we're strong, but because we are so weak. And uh, Father God, we just confess we need you every moment we need you. We are uh, tossed around uh, in this world and confused sometimes and uh, directionless sometimes, and God, we need this time this morning to our, to center our lives back upon you and, and what is important and what truly matters. So, Father, I pray that through your Spirit, by your Word, you would uh, work in each heart here that uh, no matter what challenge it is that we woke up thinking about this morning, no matter what burden it is that we carry as we come into this place, that we right now would be open in our hearts to hear from you and to Again, recenter our lives on you and what matters. God, we thank you so much that uh, in our weakness, that in our need, in our sin, 
you sent Jesus to give us life and to give us hope. And Lord, I pray that this morning we would find that life in Jesus afresh or some for the first time and that we would live this life in a way that has meaning for eternity for the sake of Jesus. Lord, please be with me. Please guide me in my words. And again, Lord, we pray for each heart here that you, by your spirit, would speak to us what we need to hear this morning. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Our passage this morning, if uh, you just kind of break it down, if you want to outline it, uh, beginning in verse 18, uh, you can outline it this way. We see, first of all, Paul's passion in verses uh, 18 through 21, and secondly, we see Paul's preferences, verses 22 through 26, and then thirdly, we see Paul's petition. That's what he wants of the church in Philippi, his uh, petition or his request, had to find a P word there, uh, in verses 27 through 30. Okay, that's kind of the outline, the quick answers, if you want the quick answers to the uh, outline, it kind of goes like this. Paul's passion is to honor Christ. We'll see that in just a second so clearly. His preferences, he's got this desire, he's hard pressed, he says, but he's going to resolve himself to, to stay uh, engaged and to have a fruitful ministry to serve Christ's church, uh, particularly those in Rome and as well as his friends in Philippi. And then his petition of them, of us as believers, of all believers, is that we would live worthy of the gospel, okay? That's kind of the, the nitty-gritty, the beef, uh, the main uh, meat here as we look at this. Um, if you were here last week, you know that last week we left Paul in verse 18 and his situation at the time as he writes this and as he talks about his situation, his personal circumstances. In verse 18, he is in prison. Not uh, good circumstances, not something that we would wish for ourselves, not something that Paul had hoped for, uh, but he's been faithful. He finds himself in prison in Rome as he writes this letter to the church of Philippi. But though he is imprisoned, though he is chained, literally chained to a guard, we left him in verse 18, chained, but full of joy. I mean, he even has these opponents that are preaching, but kind of preaching in opposition to him. And he says, it's okay. Don't worry about me. Don't worry that I'm in chains. Don't worry that I have this opposition because God is working through it. And I rejoice even though I'm in chains, even though I am burdened in a place that I don't want to be. We talked a little bit last week, our chains, whatever metaphorically your chains may be this morning, uh, God can use those chains indeed to further his kingdom, to further his work in your life, to grow you, to reach other people. The chains can be opportunities and not just uh, obstacles. But so here he is chained in Rome and we are not to feel sorry for him, he says, but he's joyful. He has this amazing, and, and you've heard me say before, joy is a major theme throughout this book of uh, Philippians. We'll see it uh, as we move forward. We've already seen it some, but joy. Uh, I think we have a slide of this. We've seen that he has joy through prayer and through partnership and through the preaching of the gospel, as we mentioned last week in verse 18. We'll, we'll continue as we go through the study to see this emphasis on joy, even though circumstances aren't great. 
That even though we are in a place and a predicament where we don't want to be, somehow Paul teaches us that we can find Christian joy, that fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. The greatest of virtues, Paul said, is love, but quickly he says in the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy. So joy is all throughout here. How does he do it? That's the question. How do you go through circumstances like this? How do you find yourself in a dungeon or chained to a Roman guard and have that kind of joy? There's four chapters in the book of Philippians. About 12 times we're going to see this noun, joy, or the verbal form uh, of, of joy. Rejoice, he says over and over. He says at the last part of verse 18, yes, I will rejoice. How do you do it? How do you have that kind of joy in a circumstance that you wouldn't choose? How does he live like that? How can we live with that kind of joy? And we need to know this, don't we? Uh, Because life is tough. And we can look around our world and uh, it doesn't take a very long survey of our circumstances or our surrounding culture to uh, not have joy, but have some fear build up and uh, some concern. If you just look at our political situation in this country. It's concerning. It has us fearful, right? It's like, really, is this where we are in the life of our nation? There, You can be drawn to, to pessimism, to fear, to anxiety. In the state of our world, here we are again uh, facing uh, times that uh, we could face increased times of terrorism. How do we find joy in that? How do we find... Uh, a way to live with joy like Paul lived with. Also, culturally, there is just an incredible amount, it seems more and more, just incredible moral confusion in our society. Incredible moral confusion about what's right and wrong and what it means to be human and what it means to be man and woman and what uh, sexuality is. Incredibly morally confused around us. How do we find joy in that? Speaking uh, this week with a, another minister, a minister uh, to teenagers, not Brent, but someone else in our, in our um, backyard here in Frisco that works with teenagers, and I was reminded again of just the incredible temptation, the, and the incredible trials, the unique culture that our kids are growing up with that our teenagers face every day as they go to school um, about who they're going to be, about what their identity is going to be, the, the things that are available to them to look at, to experience, to... Um, it's concerning. How do we find joy in that? Talk to others of you and uh, not to share all, but I know what's going on in lives as you sit here, as you look at me, as I know uh, not everything that's going on in your lives, but as a pastor, I know some of the things I know that many of you are struggling with difficult decisions of trying months and months at a time to find employment, that some of you wake up every day and you battle fibromyalgia or chronic pain, debilitating anxiety, depression, How do we find joy in this? How do we find joy in the midst of very difficult circumstances in in a world that really seems to be off the rails? Well, I think we get some 
some clues here from Paul in this long passage that we won't be able to dissect completely. But one of the clues, uh, I think, comes towards the end of this passage in verse 29. But notice if you're underlined or if you're taking notes, if you write in your Bible or whatever, he, as, he, as he talks here in verses 18 through 30, there's some key words that I underlined in, uh, in my Bible here. In verse 20, he talks about being full of courage having full courage. In verse uh, 22, he talks about fruitful labor that he wants to have. In verse 27, as he's telling them to, to live worthy of the gospel, he talks to them about standing firm, striving side by side. He wants them to endure in the faith. In verse 28, he says, don't be frightened, not frightened in anything. And no matter what's happening around you, no matter what you're discouraged about, no, no matter what the trial is you face this week, not to be frightened, but that there is this spirit-given joy that we can have. How do we have it? How do we grow in joy? One of the things I think we realize from uh, Paul in verse 29 is just his simple expectation of what life would bring. What would we face in life just as humans and especially as believers. Look at verse 29 with me. He says, as he kind of concludes this section here, it has been granted for, to you for the sake of Christ. Now, before I go on, it has been granted to you. The word there, granted, comes from the same word that we get gift in the scriptures. It has been gifted to you. It has been granted to you. God has given you this gift. He has granted you this opportunity. And we're like all on the edge of our seats. What is the gift that Jesus is giving us? What has he granted to us? But don't get so excited just yet because what does he say the gift is? He says not, the gift is not only to believe in him, not only to believe in Christ, but part two, but also to suffer for his sake. We've been granted, we've been given this gift, and the gift is not only believing in Jesus, but get this, the gift is to suffer for Jesus' sake. We're going to suffer because we're in this broken world, and we're also going to be, we're also going to suffer because we follow Jesus. The heat is going to get turned up in our world, the heat is turning up in our culture and to take a stand for Jesus and to speak of Jesus and to speak of truth is gonna cost you, it's gonna cost me, it's gonna cost us to suffer. But get this, he's saying it is a gift. The suffering even is a gift of God. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. When you follow Jesus, it's not health and wealth. It's not roses. It's not everything uh, all perfect again. But he guarantees us suffering and he says, you've seen conflict that I faced and you see that I'm still in conflict. How did they meet Paul in Philippi? Well, they met him as he preached the gospel and then what happened to him? He and his cronies got put in jail. The Philippians are not unfamiliar with the cost of being a disciple that got him put in jail in Acts 16 as they, as they founded this church of Philippi. He says, you've seen me in conflict. I was put in jail there. There was this massive earth, earthquake. And so we were released miraculously. But what's the conflict I still have? Here I am again and back in prison. Now I'm in prison in Rome. Here's the point. The point is that Paul expected suffering. He just expected that life was going to be difficult, and that's not what we hear around us. That's not what we hear from uh, commercials. That's not what we hear from TV preachers. But to expect to suffer, not only because it's a broken world, because if you're really following Christ, there will come suffering. It's a gift that he has granted you. There will be conflict. So Paul's expectation is not our expectation. 
our expectation. I follow Christ. Christ gives me, Christ loves me. Christ gives me what I want all the time. Paul is proof. That's not the way it goes. And nevertheless, nevertheless, he can have this joy even though he expects suffering. Do you expect suffering? It's the reality of this world. It's the reality. It's the promise of following Jesus. We won't get a pain-free life. So how does he endure that? How does he endure suffering with joy? How does he still find courage in the midst of suffering? Well, I think we see a big clue as to that as we go back to the beginning part here in verses 18 through 21. We see Paul's passion. Paul's passion. What is his passion in life? I will rejoice. Why? Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He has joy because he knows something. And what is it that he knows? He knows that this is going to turn out for his deliverance. He knows I'm going to be delivered. Now, what does he specifically mean here? Does Paul mean, I know this is going to turn out because you're praying for me, that I'm going to be delivered from prison? Or is he talking here deliverance in the sense of salvation? So commentators have gone back and forth, and there's some debate on this. What is he really referring to? Is it the deliverance from the chains, or is it deliverance that, hey, even if I'm not delivered from prison, Christ is going to deliver me through salvation. I'm going to meet my Savior, and that's deliverance. Well, it could be a little bit of both here, but what? regardless, he's confident that what's happening will end in his good. He will be delivered. And it sounds like as we go through the passage that he's expecting to minister to them, that he's going to get out of these chains and he's going to minister again. But even if not, ultimately his life will be delivered from this pain, delivered from this trial to be with his Savior. So it kind of goes like this. Is if Jesus is yours and death is gain, you can't lose. Paul's summary is, if Jesus is yours and death is gain, you can't lose. He says, my hope, my expectation, verse 20, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Paul's passion, his purpose is to honor Christ, regardless of whether he gets out of the chains, regardless of with, with he, if he dies in chains, regardless of his, if he's able to minister again or he's never able to minister again except for the guards that are chained to him, he's going to honor Christ with his life. That was his driving passion. That was his concern that his life would be about honoring Christ. He says it another way in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Our life is about honoring God. Our, we were created to honor God. We are created to give glory to God through our lives. And he summarizes it. He comes to this conclusion in verse 21, these be- nine beautiful words. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's his conclusion To live as Christ and to die as gain. I think that's the epicenter of this passage, the epicenter of this book, and even the the foundation and the epicenter of, of Paul's life. To live as Christ and to die is gain. If I'm living, I'm living for Christ. And if I die, 
What's the problem? Now I'm with my Savior. Now I'm with the one that I want to honor, the one that I want to glorify. I can't lose. If Jesus is mine and death is gain, I cannot lose. Jesus is life. Jesus is life. This is what Jesus himself said, John 10.10. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. Jesus is saying here, I've come that you might have life, that you might experience life. And Paul is saying the same thing. To live is Christ. Life is Christ. And Christ is living. John 14, 6. Jesus also said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want life? Come to me. I'm the living water. I'm the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're not going to find life apart from Jesus. That's what Jesus claims. And that's what Paul sees as the reality of his life. To live is Christ. But even if I die... I gain because I get Jesus face to face. What can you do to me? Chain me? Kill me for my faith? You can kill me, but I still gain Jesus. You remember Lazarus? He was the guy that Jesus raised from the, from the tomb. John chapter 11. He dies. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. He comes forth. How is, how is Lazarus' life changed? I mean, he's never the guy, it's never the same guy. Again, imagine if, if skeptics or unbelievers or uh, Roman persecutors come to Lazarus and they say, you've got to quit talking about Jesus. And Lazarus is like, or what? You'll kill me? I mean, he just raised me from the dead. I'm not scared of you. He brought me back to life. Why should I not die for him? He'll bring me to life again. And Paul is saying, life is Jesus my life is in Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus, all about Jesus. Everything that I do is about Jesus. He is life. I'm told that there's a Latin inscription in a place called Carthage in North Africa from ancient Roman times. And the inscription reads like this. It's a commentary on thought of the day. What is life in ancient Rome? And it goes like this, written in Latin. It says, to laugh to hunt, to bathe, to gain, that is life. To laugh, to hunt, to bathe, to gain worldly fame, I take it, that is life. Jesus says, I am life. I am your fulfillment. I am your sustenance. I am your purpose. To laugh, to hunt, to bathe, to gain, that's life. A couple thousand years later, if metaphorically, if there were an epitaph in the cornerstone of downtown Frisco or Collin County, and people were going to write what life was about according to Collin County 2016, what would the epitaph read? To live is what? To live is to be comfortable. To live is to accumulate. To live is to have position and status. To live is to have kids that are successful and cute and involved in things and successful at school and successful in sports and to have a huge home and nice new cars. To live is to vacation. To live is to have people know me. To live is to have... Pleasure, to live is to have beauty. 
What's life in Collin County? What's life in 2016? And Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Accumulation, comfort, affluence, status, position, all of it, a vapor. To live is money and to die then is to lose it all. To live is fame and then to die is to be forgotten. Where do we find life? What are you living for this morning? And is it big enough for your heart? Jesus said, life is found in me. Paul said, to live is Christ. And even if I'm killed, to die is to gain. How many Hollywood success stories, how many world-class athletes, how many entertainers that die young does it have to take for us to realize that fame is not where it's at, that money cannot buy joy, that the biggest home and the greatest accumulation and a status that's respected is all just a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow, and Paul says, my life, my purpose, my passion is Jesus. There is only life in Jesus. The way to live a life that matters is to live and die for the one that gives life. You're not going to find life. I'm not going to find life anywhere else, not in my career, not in any stuff that Collin County wants to convince me is really where fulfillment is found, but that life is Jesus. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, if that's the case, if to die is gain, why not just go there today? Why not just be done with this life? To die is gain, we'll be with Jesus. Why not be there? Why not go there now? He says it's better, doesn't he? Well, it's better, but look at his rationale for continuing in fruitful labor. And what his fruitful labor is as we go into Paul's preferences. Look, after verse 21, how does he, how does he conclude? How, how is he going to spend these days? If he's here, then there's still something for him to do. And if you and I are still here, and we are, then there's still some growth for us. And there's still some ministry for us to do. There's still something for us to accomplish on this side of death. So Paul concludes as he lets them see his inner struggle in verses 22 through 26. He, he, he comes to this conclusion that he'll stay and he'll minister so that other people can find the joy of Jesus. Look in verses 22. He says, if I live into the flesh, he's, he's, he's doing his... Uh, Pluses and minuses, he's debating this out in his head. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. The word depart there, it's used elsewhere in the Bible of taking up the tent and, and moving on, picking up your tent and moving on. I'm, I'm ready to depart and be done with this. But look, Paul is not wanting to depart to get out of chains or to get out of suffering or hard circumstances. His motivation for departing is not an escape from difficulty, but it's a love for his Savior to depart and to be with Christ is much better. 
I don't want to depart to get out of difficulty, get out of difficulty, but I want to depart to be with Jesus, the Savior whom I'm loved. But he's torn because he also has this ministry, also has these people that need him and he wants to reach out to. I des- my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Amen, absolutely, that is far better. But verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You still need me. And I still need you, convinced of this, verse 25, convinced of this, that it's more necessary for me uh, to remain on your account. I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Why? The end of verse 25, for your progress and joy in the faith. For your progress and joy in the faith. What's better? To be with Jesus, absolutely. But what's more necessary? to stay on for your joy and your progress in the faith. And if you and I are still here and we are, then there's something still for us to do. There's ways for us to grow and there's ministry for us to accomplish. So there are people that need us in their life to progress their faith for their joy to be found in Jesus. So he says, I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna give my life to the people around me in Rome. I'm gonna give my life to you, Philippian church because I love you. And if I'm still here, there's still something for me to do. He loves these people and he wants to give his life for them. He talks about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Where do you find joy? You find it in Jesus, but look at how he talks about affectionately about the church of Thessalonica. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? What are we going to boast about? What's going to be our joy when Jesus returns? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. What is Paul saying? He's saying, you church, you people that I've invested in, you are my glory, you are my joy. You middle school students that I've given my life to. You elementary students that I've taught Sunday school. You community group that I've done life with, that I've invested in, that I've helped you struggle through your marriage. You're my glory. You're my joy. So he'd love to go and be with Jesus. But the reason for his staying is for ministry. There's still something for him to do. There's still someone for him to reach. So he says, I'm in for fruitful labor until Jesus takes me home. I'm in. Why are you here? Why are you here this morning? Why are you here at church? And I, I, it's, it's not, I don't think, it's because you needed an hour of something to do. We're busy people. And I don't think it's just so you can be present at church. I think we are here this morning because we really want our lives to matter. We really want to do something significant with our lives beyond just the mundane of Monday morning. We want our lives to matter. We want our lives to mean something. We want to do something that outlasts this quarter or this paycheck. We want to do something that matters for eternity. And you know what matters for eternity? People giving our lives to other people for their joy and progress in the faith. That's the only reason he says it's, it's okay for him to stay is because he wants to invest in other people. You want your life to matter. I believe that you're here this morning because you want to do something significant. 
You don't want to just go about the mundane. You don't want to just be wrapped up in the materialism of our culture, but you want to sacrifice. You want to give yourself to something that's greater than you, to something that's greater than business accomplishment or just having your kids kind of grow up and be cute and be proud of them and all that stuff. Folks, the way to spend and invest our lives is to invest our lives in what matters. And Jesus came and gave his life for people. And Paul said, the reason I'm staying on is because I'm gonna invest my life in people. That's our calling. As we say around here all the time, I, I am not the minister and missionary of Centennial Church. We are all ministers and missionaries of Jesus. And you are here, if you are here and you are here, you are here because God still wants to do something great in your life, through your life. Who is it? What child, what family member, what coworker? What person that you know from college, who is it that you need to invest your life in to make an eternal difference? What is our joy? What is our hope? What is our crown? Is it not you? You are our joy and our crown. As long as we're here, folks, the calling of God is to give our lives away for other people, to invest our lives in our friends, to pray for our neighbors, to instruct the next generation to plant seeds in the hearts of the next generation that will come to fruition to be the leaders and the ministers for Jesus in their time and their place. Life is not found anywhere else but in Jesus and doing what he wants us to do And what he wants us to do is make disciples and give our lives away in service of the gospel. That's what matters. So I'm charging us this morning not to leave here this morning fired up and charged up that, hey, that was a nice pep talk. I needed that to get through the next seven days. I want want us to scatter out of here on mission that there's people that we have an opportunity to pray for, to love, to share the gospel with, to invite the church. And God has put you in that place for this time to be his man, to be his woman. Just like Paul said, if I'm here, I'm here for you. Let's make a difference. Let's give our lives to stuff that matters. Pray with me. Father, we, uh, many of us this morning, we just, need to, we just need to confess. We just need to ask your forgiveness because we have, we have falsely believed that if we got enough money, if we got the right house, and if we got the right promotion, the right job, that, that we would find life. And we have not So Father, thank you for this reminder this morning that you give life to us through Jesus and life is all about him. And I pray that we would walk out of here living for him, representing him, ministering for him. Lord, prepare us to reach people and prepare people to be reached by us. We want to matter. We want to make a difference. And Jesus, as we uh, come to your table this morning, we are reminded that you did the ultimate. 
that you loved not in words only, but to the point of death. You shed your blood. You gave yourself completely to bring us to you. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you that because of your body and your blood broken, we are righteous sons and daughters of the Father. That we carry no guilt, but that we are completely loved and accepted in your sight. And Jesus, as we partake of the bread and as we partake of the juice this morning, would you reinvigorate in us a passion to live lives of sacrifice and dedication as you have lived, Jesus. That your church would be built and glory would be given to you, Father, Son, and Spirit.